May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Oftentimes, our reading for an appointed scripture is really like a commercial teaser for the whole series, which is what we have with the Joseph reading today. We only have a very small and redacted snippet. And the whole arc of Joseph's narrative is one of the longest stories in Genesis. There are many plot twists. So don't worry about this cliffhanger that we have of Joseph because we will be tracking him. There's a backstory of what we need to know, and it comes from our scripture a couple of weeks ago. Do you remember that terrible father, Laban, the one who made his oldest daughter, Leah, sleep with Jacob, even though he had married the younger daughter, Rachel? Yes, that dad. <laughs> Once Rachel and Jacob were married, after 14 years of waiting, Rachel could not conceive a child. This went on for many years and was source of heartache for both of them, and it's very well documented in Genesis. Finally, Rachel is able to birth a child, and that child is none other than Joseph. Joseph immediately becomes the favorite despite having 10 older brothers before him. And then Rachel births another son, Benjamin. And it's worth noting that Rachel, after all this longing, dies in childbirth with Benjamin. We read all of this scripture in order to know the 12 tribes of Israel, or Jacob, and how they came to be. This is why we read these stories. It's like your grandmother telling you how your parents met or about your, first, your aunt's first marriage that maybe you didn't know about. These are family stories passed through oral tradition, and they are the stories of our very long ago spiritual ancestors. Welcome to the table. Today, we are invited to spend some time with Joseph, the youngest, one of the youngest of the 12 brothers. And it's worth noting that there is a sister too, Dina, but we don't get to know her in our lectionary readings this year. Our lectionary reading also only shows Joseph in a very good light. But I think we can see why his brothers might be a little annoyed with Joseph. As we know, he's publicly exalted by his father as the favorite. He has this very special flashy coat. And second, these dreams that he's having are a bit annoying. He tells his brothers his first dream. You were all binding sheaves in the field. And suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, and all your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers understood this prophecy right away and said, Are you 
younger brother indeed to reign over us? Are you supposed to have dominion over us? And Joseph, not really getting the picture, once he had another dream, he still told his brothers about his dream and said, look, I had another dream. The sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. These brothers were no doubt concerned about their own prosperity. And here, their much younger brother, already maybe in a position to take more of the inheritance, was prophesying his own leadership and greatness. While we could examine many themes here, like sibling rivalry or jealousy, what speaks to me is something nasty and something that I think all of us likely struggle with. It's how the brothers were able to do what they did to Joseph. They wanted to kill him and had a plan for doing so. Thankfully, Reuben intervenes and they throw him in a pit without food or water. And then when they see Egyptian merchants and slave traders coming through, they realize that not only can they get rid of Joseph, but they can make some fresh cash too. But to get to this terrible decision-making point shows us that the brothers have been laying the groundwork for a long time on thinking of Joseph as the other brother, the one who doesn't belong. Psychology tells us that one of the easiest ways to carry out violence against a person or a group of people is to dehumanize them in our minds thinking of them as the other, thinking of them like animals, like creatures less valuable than you and your offspring, as enemies taking away our resources and our security. This is why our use of language and slurs in particular are so powerful and not to be used lightly or ever. It reduces people from their family given name, their personal name, dare say their baptism name if they're Christian, and it teaches our brain that these people are just dogs or just, or just. Once we other someone, we begin to think that they have little value, no redeeming value. And when people have no redeeming value, they become disposable. And when people are disposable, we do terrible things. And like the brothers, we may say, well, we don't kill them, but we surely commodify people and push unattractive people out of our view. We clean up tent cities of homeless encampments before sporting events or major visits, political figures visit our towns. We don't want that in our neighborhood. 
we build our prisons on the outskirts of town. Yes, it's cheaper there and there's more real estate, but also we don't have to be reminded that there are so many people, justified or unjustified, imprisoned. How do we put people out of our eye, out of our view? One of my favorite contemporary poets, Claudia Rankine, wrote a book called Citizen, in which her book-long poem meditates on race in America. She writes, in line at the drugstore, it's finally your turn. And then it's not, as he walks in front of you and puts his things on the counter. The cashier says, sir, she was next. When he turns to you, he is truly surprised. Oh my God, I didn't see you. You must be in a hurry, you offer. No, 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 I really didn't see you. Who is it that we do not see? Literally, do not see when we're moving through this world. When we walk into rooms, into our churches, at our coffee hours, or at our workplaces? Who do our eyes just glaze over and turn to the next person? Is it people who appear to be homeless? People of a certain racial background? Do we distance ourselves from people who, think, who we think are Republicans? Or Trump supporters? or Democrats, or this, or that. It's dangerous slope. And it's a dangerous slope because it's easy. And it's easy to do when there are masses of people doing it. Most of the brothers were doing it. Ten of them. Only one spoke out against. And they were doing it long before they actually sold Joseph. They began distancing themselves from their brother long before they sold him into slavery. Sometimes when we end our readings with the word of the Lord, it's really an alarm siren for us. We need to pay attention to our spiritual ancestors. We need to pull up a seat at our table and maybe learn a little bit from their mistakes and follow a bit more in the ways of Jesus. Amen.